Welcome to Feel Better, Live More Bite Size, your weekly dose of positivity and optimism to get you ready for the weekend. Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I have come across. It contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes, and I myself take it regularly. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more to find out more and to access a very special offer for listeners of my podcast. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Today's clip is from episode 57 of the podcast with body image and mental health campaigner Natasha Devon. In this clip, she explains why it's so important to keep our minds fit and healthy and give some great tips for maintaining our mental fitness. Why does mental health mean so much to you? I have a, a diagnosis of panic disorder myself, and I didn't receive that diagnosis until I was 31. I'm almost 38 now. So that's a very small chunk of my life where I actually knew who my enemy was. When I look back with the knowledge that I have now, I realized I had my first panic attack when I was 10, but I didn't know what it was and neither did anyone around me. And um, I was misdiagnosed quite a lot with um, asthma and allergies and um, all kinds of things which were sort of physical in their nature as opposed to psychological. And um, it struck me that we, we're so fearful around mental illness diagnosis. We see it as a label. And in fact, for me, it was the opposite. It was when, when I received the diagnosis, it was just such a huge relief because I could make the necessary alterations to my life to live with this thing, you know, and, and just the same as if I had diabetes, it's part of who I am, but it's not, it doesn't define me. So I guess I'm trying to be the sort of friendly face of mental illness and say to people, it doesn't have to be a life sentence. What I'm trying to convey at the moment to young people is there is such a thing as mental fitness. So I think we're starting to understand mental illness, but there is also mental fitness, which is like if it was a graph, that would be the vertical axis. Yeah. And if you think it's important, for example, to take time to exercise every day for your physical health, there are equivalents that you can do for your mental health. And I, I believe that we live in a culture which kind of fetishizes um overworking and not taking time for self-care. And as well, the notion of self-care has been commoditized. Um, so it, it's almost become this laughable thing of like, oh, have a lavender bath <laughs> type yeah. thing. Um, but actually, that's not what it is. What all self-care is, is ring fencing time every day to restore your chemical balance. And that's what mental fitness is. When I was at school, I was a classic um, sort of perfectionist overachiever, which... Um, a lot of people would think is a good thing, but what people don't understand about perfectionists is that, first of all, you are constantly beating yourself up. Nothing you ever do is you good enough in your mind, but also that you don't do things that you think you won't be good at. So there's loads of things that have intrinsic value. Like, for example, you know, now I love to exercise, but I will never be any good at it. <laughs> you know, I'm never going to be an athlete, a natural athlete. That doesn't matter because I enjoy it and it, and it gives me, it gives me something, you know, that 
I need. Um, so I, I would say throughout school, I was kind of channeling my nervous energy into studying, overachieving, um, always wanting the, the top grade, never thinking that anything I did was good enough. And whilst on paper, my academic career looks like a successful one, doesn't really tell the story of how I felt about it. Yeah, I think that is, that's, that's, I guess I was pausing and reflecting as you were saying that because some of those personality traits I can recognize in myself and um, the striving for perfection and only doing things that you know you can be good at. And I feel I've changed a lot in that area over the last years as I've done a lot of deep emotional work on myself and actually tried to figure out where that stuff comes from. Um, do you feel that you've had an evolution in the last few years whereby you can now you know, enjoy something, as you say, for its intrinsic value rather than because it's going to get that external validation. That's right. And it, there's another element to it as well of being a woman um, in the society, the culture that we have in Britain and, and in America and other places throughout the world where you are from your earliest moments kind of taught to see your body as an enemy something that you need to um, sort of tweak and shape into an acceptable form. And a lot of people, I think, exercise because they're trying to change their body rather than for the the joy of it. And like a lot of people that grew up in Essex, um, I used to go to the gym and I used to hate it. It was, it was, a, you know, a, a, a bi-daily torture that was all about shaping my body into, um, and punishing my body for not being that shape naturally. Whereas now, um, I go to the park, um, you know, I do it in nature that there's actually a lot of evidence to show that if you exercise outside, it, um, magnifies the endorphin production. Yeah. Um, and, and I do it because, it, you know, it, I'm celebrating my body rather than apologizing for my body. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you heard of something called fractals before? No. Yes, fractals are these geometric shapes that you only get in nature. Yeah. Um, and, we, and science has shown that, um, that when you look at fractals, when a human being looks at a fractal, you, you lower levels of the stress hormone cortisol, which is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why nature is so powerful for us. But you only get fractals in nature, in trees, in, you know, in grass, in, in coastlines, in lakes. And it's, it's incredible. So it's like we're hardwired to be in nature. So it doesn't surprise me that, that you're also finding that. Um, you mentioned body and we're taught to uh, think about our bodies uh, as an enemy. And I guess... Body image and the way we view our bodies, is, is that a problem at the moment? It's so the way it was explained to me, there's um, a, a small group of scientists at uh, University of Central London who specifically look at gender and its relationship to mental health. And they're everything that they write is endlessly fascinating to me. And one of the things that, that they say in their research is it's about shame triggers. So uh, for, for women, the majority, not all, but for the majority of women, the shame trigger relates to beauty. And for the majority of men, the shame trigger relates to strength. And so when you look at body image issues in men, they most often begin with uh, an obsession with exercise and muscle building, and then the, the food restrictions come later. Whereas with women, it's more likely to be the other way around. It begins with food restriction and then compulsive exercise. And that's because of the differences in, in the shame trigger. So it's, it's kind of, it's harder to shame a man just for not looking 
the way we think men should look. Whereas with women, it's, it's pretty straightforward, which is why low body image is correlated in women with things like depression and, and anxiety. I um, worked with a guy called Dr. David Bainbridge. He's at Cambridge University and he wrote a book called Curvology and it was looking at the evolution of female body shape. And one of the things it says in the book is there are all kinds of reasons why women in particular are incredibly diverse in our body shape. And it was the first time that I went, oh, so we're meant to look radically different from one another. And yet we're all aspiring to this very narrow idea of what beauty is. We're speaking a lot about physical health and mental health and how we're trying to give mental health the same or, or similar awareness to, to physical health. Now, a lot of people will say that there's no difference. Why are we separating out physical health and mental health? Surely it's part of the same picture. What are your views on that? I agree with that. Um, the body and the mind don't exist in silos. And something I discovered recently is that eight out of 10 primary age children who go to their school nurse with stomachache are experiencing stomachache because they're anxious. And the ancient Egyptians actually believed that your brain and your stomach were the same organ yeah. because they're so closely <laughs> correlated. And then I, I also read that 90% of back pain has no physically attributable cause that you could see in an x-ray is where people hold their stress. So I, I think utopia would be a culture in which we don't, we just talk about health, but we're not there yet. No. So it, we need to raise the awareness of mental health to a point where people are taking it as seriously first. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put, uh, put it. Because I, I also agree. I think they are the same thing. I think health is health and it's all interconnected. And, you know, you mentioned, was it the Egyptians? Yes. Yeah. Which is incredible because what I find fascinating as a doctor is that we're getting a lot of science now to back up what a lot of these ancient cultures have been saying for donkey's yeah, years, I know. you know, the gut brain axis, right? Well, the Egyptians were saying that, but you know, maybe we in the West have sort of not taken that kind of stuff seriously because it's not based on hard science. Whereas actually now, you know what, you know, I think human beings have known intuitively for thousands, tens of thousands of years, how to take care of ourselves. And so yeah. I find that super interesting. I really like this idea of mental fitness. Yeah. It just makes a lot of sense. And this podcast is really about trying to have interesting conversations, sure, but it's about trying to inspire each and every listener to become the architects of their own health. And I wonder if you can leave the listeners with some of your top tips on what they can do that are hopefully going to improve their mental fitness. So you want to, like I said, ring fence time every day for your mental fitness. Uh, so Mental Health First Aid England, who I do a lot of work with, they recommend an hour of self-care a day. I happen to think that that's slightly unrealistic for the average person. So I always ask people to aim for half an hour. And in that half an hour, you want to be doing an activity which falls into one of these three categories. The first is physical activity. The second is relaxation and the third is creativity. And there's a huge number of things that you could do um, that, that fall into those categories. But, you, you know, listening to or making music, writing in a journal, going for a walk. But you're just uh, topping up then your mental fitness or uh, Mental Health First Aid England describe it as emptying your stress bucket. Hope you enjoyed that bite-sized clip. Please do spread the love by sharing this episode with your friends and family. And if you want more, why not go back and listen to the full conversation with my guest? And 
If you enjoyed this episode, I think you will really enjoy my new bite-sized Friday email. It's called The Friday Five. And each week I share things that I do not share on social media. It contains five short doses of positivity, articles or books that I'm reading, quotes that I'm thinking about, exciting research I've come across, and so much more. I really think you're going to love it. The goal is for it to be a small yet powerful dose of feel good to get you ready for the weekend. You can sign up for it at drchatterjee.com forward slash Friday 5. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Make sure you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back next week with my long form conversation on Wednesday and the latest episode of Bite Science next Friday. <laughs>